0: Welcome back to Hindu Insights. I'm Ankur Patel with Sneha Rao continuing our conversation on the appropriation of yoga. So in our first half we went over the history, some background, lots of information, but now Snehaji, why should Hindus care that this is even happening?
1: So I, I hear this question a lot in our community and there's a lot of um, sort of I, mechanisms as deflection mechanisms. One is like oh, we have our own mandirs, our own guris, you know, why should I care? Like, I'm just going to take my kid there and, you know, he can learn whatever he needs to in a secular school and then I'll just teach them. The other thing is, um, we see, as long as we get them on the mat, that's a good thing, right? We're helping people learn yoga, which is going to help them, you know, reach spiritual goals, um, that sort of thing. And obviously if they can reach their spiritual goals using a, tradition that came from India, we will be seen more positively. Now, I think the fact that they're using phobia to detach Hinduism uh, from yoga uh, is indicative to me that this idea that because they practice yoga, it's gonna be good for us. In fact, I, I don't believe that's actually true. What I've seen is that as the detachment of yoga is happening, Uh, there's actually more and more Hindu phobia coming from uh, the yoga industry, the asana studio based industry. Um, The other thing I think, and this goes to a deeper thing that I alluded to in my own story with learning yoga as in a gym class is that um, we underestimate how much the white culture is dominant in this country and how much it impacts the way our kids view our traditions, Um, and even yoga right if you want to teach your kid how to uh, to practice yoga because you believe that it will help him achieve uh, be a good dharmic person uh, then you should care that uh, yoga isn't being taught correctly it's become only about fitness uh, and there's a lot of distortion to the way even, even other aspects like um, you know, when they do get into the eight limbs, they'll present, let's say ahimsa as, um, complete, uh, as veganism. I saw this the other day. They were like, oh, ahimsa means veganism. And I'm like, no, it's much bigger than that. It can, veganism can be part of your practices ahimsa, but ahimsa is also ahimsa of speech, right? Using the right speech to, uh, pr- pr- do as little harm. So these discourses sort of disappear and they become very narrow. And the other aspect is they're essentially transformed. We are not, it's not about ownership of yoga, it's about stewardship. When we say yoga is Hindu, we mean that we stewarded this knowledge for five, 10,000 years. We don't even know. Um, and our gurus have put together uh, um, the, a method of teaching yoga through the Gurushishya Parampara. And when they stop even citing a guru, or there's a new thing where they're calling it the post lineage yoga, where essentially the guru is an elitist Brahmin. And this comes directly from this idea of Brahmanism, which can be traced back to um, anti-Semitic tropes about rabbis being converted, of uh, being projected onto Hindus and Hindu Brahmins. It, when they say that our gurus are elitist brahmins and they're prevent and they're preventing people from uh learning yoga what they're really doing is tra- they're transforming their stewardship of yoga to ownership by the western yoga industry now gurus can exist within this industry but the definition of yoga will be owned by the western industry within that Uh, A true seeker can go find a guru, but he's just another product. He's a brand. He's not, he or she is not a, not a steward. They're a brand essentially. Uh, So that should really concern us because growing up, uh, I learned that Sri Krishna is our first guru, you know? So Bhagwan and Demuru is our first guru, right? He's divine. Um, He's the remover of darkness. So this whole idea uh, of transforming the stewardship of gurus to ownership by the capitalistic industry should very much concern the Hindu community in the West.
0: Yes, that does concern me. And I really like the way that you differentiated between ownership and stewardship, right? The depth is lost. And then also the the, the flip-flop, like we can't be owners or stewards and all of a sudden the West is the owner and the, and the arbiter. It's so, it's, it's amazing and painful. So what can we do about it as Hindus, as people involved in this space? What can we do about it?
1: We can learn about what the mechanism of Hinduphobia um, and we can, you know, I, I feel a lot of people don't wanna talk about this issue in our community. We feel that because we have become relatively wealthy, uh, you know, it doesn't affect us. Um, But what is the point of being wealthy if you can't even teach your kids about uh, your own traditions and why it's so beautiful? Um, So, and, and also we should care about it because it gets projected onto Indians in India. Um, so we should start speaking out about this issue in Hindu, about Hinduphobia. We should, uh, I think there's an impression that, you know, interfaith spaces, for example, and colleges, universities, high schools are, are hostile towards us. So we just kind of, we just give up that space. But I feel that we should support our teenagers and kids in participating in these spaces. We should teach them about Hinduphobia. We should teach them about how yoga appropriation affects them and the Hindu community. And we should start articulating them in these spaces. And instead of just giving, giving up the space and saying, Oh, I'm not going to deal with it. We should start engaging, uh, not just in, you know, interface spaces. We should be going to town halls because I've seen that people will book like five, 10 minutes in town halls and city council and speak about this. So I understand that we, have been so uh you know it's been so negative in the political space for us that we just sort of had this idea of i'm just going to give it up and i'm not going to engage and i'm just going to keep my head down i'm going to do my job i'm going to code whatever and make money and just you know we're going to have our community but um we have to understand that that in the long term is not really great for especially when you get down to second generation they have friends they have uh you know influences from outside the community um and if they're learning they're not going to understand that this there's hate coming at them they're just going to see that as a normal thing because that's all they know they don't know india especially when you get down to second generation and third generation so we need to start talking about these issues in our family uh, and also taking the time to show up at uh, you know, political as well as interfaith spaces consistently and telling our story to the larger community.
0: Yeah, well, we can't concede any space. I, I like that concept, and let's take some of the space right here to elaborate, or at least, so your your perspective on Hindu You touch on it a lot there in conferences. It's a, it's an important term. Why don't you take a, a minute or so to just dig into that from your perspective, what it is, maybe our listeners haven't even heard the term or Hindu Dresha, you know, the idea, and and you can uh, dig into that for a brief
1: minute. Sure. So I recently participated in a conference called Understanding Hinduphobia, which now has a working definition of Hinduphobia. um, And they have a webpage that I really recommend people go and check out. Uh, There's also a Hinduphobia manual that helps people navigate it. But from my perspective, what Hindu phobia is, is A, it's, uh, it operates on the identity level. It's racialized. So, you know, if you see a brown person, even if that brown person from South Asia isn't actually Hindu, there's still going to be negative stereotypes about that person, um, whether or not he's a, they're practicing Hindu. Based on the stereotypes about Hinduism being, you know, patriarchal, negative, all this other castist, whatever you have, those stereotypes are gonna to apply to anybody who's quote unquote South Asian because we're racialized that way. So it does operate at the identity level. Then you have the epistemic level, which is about uh, basically interpreting all of our knowledge uh, frameworks our onto epistemic frameworks with a Western lens. So basically, uh imposing the western positivist right when when only five senses are allowed so for example yoga allows for uh you honing your intuition and that's like if you even say that in a in a in a most spaces today you would be thrown out as somebody who's like superstitious uh or at least critiqued for it very very severely so we need to sort of articulate um our tradition and we need to say we have a different epistemic frameworks from the west and we don't just want racial justice but we want epistemic justice we want to move we want the whole gamut we want to decolonize we and we want the west to stop uh imposing their own ideas on us which really are originating in their christian past right their views so they need to they need to examine that and then give us the space to analyze, understand, research our own epistemic and uh, frameworks and identity frameworks. We need to do that.
0: Yeah, thank you for that so one last thing before we get into it but we started at yoga appropriation and you just went into this big picture it's not just appropriation of yoga our whole civilization culture history itihasa, it's all part of this conversation so thank you for that step back and, and putting it into context but the appropriation of yoga we should be concerned about it we're actually going to do a webinar on saturday with snehaji Find it at hua.edu or on social media. Um, you get a chance to ask your questions, interact with Snehaji on the on the Zoom webinar live. It's gonna be Saturday, 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific time, noon Eastern time. Please join us for our weekly webinar with Sneha Rao uh, on the Western appropriation of yoga. Snehaji, maybe a closing sentence and then I'll give our, our last pitch.
1: Um, I just wanna say thank you everybody for Uh, listening. If you ever want to have more information, you can also reach me at Hindus for Decolonization, which is a group on Facebook uh, where we talk about decolonization and different topics, not just yoga. We talk about Hindu persecution um, and how we're represented in the West and India and all that. So yeah.
0: Yeah, please do check out Hindus for decolonization on Facebook. Don't forget to follow Hindu University of America on social media, our Instagram handle, our Facebook, Twitter. They're all study at HUA. Go to the website, hua.edu, write to us, contact us. We'll get back to you. Thank you for joining us for Hindu insights. Keep up the dharmic work.
1: Namaste.